Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey guys, welcome back in to the Moment of Cluth podcast. I'm your host, Megan Cluth. This week's guest is three time Olympic gold medalist Rowdy Gaines. The Rowdy Gaines story is a tale of perseverance. To the world, he's a champion, but it all started with getting cut from five other sports teams before finding his lane in the sport of swimming. And he actually even quit swimming before he even won his first Olympic gold medal. Today, he's an analyst for ESPN and NBC, he's an educator, and he's helping bring the sport of swimming back safely in time for the 2021 Olympics. With a quick message from our sponsor, Bet Online, a reminder, while you might not be at the game this year, you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. From game spreads to totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any other place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Welcoming in now to the Moment of Cluth podcast, three-time Olympic gold medalist, International Swimming Hall of Famer, ESPN and NBC Sports swimming analyst, Rowdy Gaines. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you? Thank you so much. It's great to be with you. It's awesome. Now, where are you quarantining? In Orlando, Florida. I could think of worse places to be quarantined, but uh, yeah, I've been in Orlando. I was born and raised in Winter Haven, which is about an hour from here and a third generation Floridian, so it's, it's definitely in my blood. Do you have your own pool? I do, absolutely I do. It's <laughs> right in the backyard. I swim in it every day, at least in the last six months I've been swimming in because every other pool around here has been closed. So yeah, I get in my backyard pool. It's very small, but it'll do in a pinch for sure. Now, yeah. what impact has COVID-19, the COVID-19 era, had on swimming and swimming pools in general? Well, I mean, it's, it's been devastating across the country, obviously, um, especially this summer, you know, I mean, water is, is a part of the fabric of who we are in so many, in so many ways, especially in the summers in so many parts of the country. And to have that literally taken away has been really um, traumatic across many fronts, um, obviously from the competitive side, the Olympics being canceled. So all those athletes gearing up from the Olympics all the way down to those swim lessons, which are now, you know, missing in action in many ways. And that's even more devastating because, um, because it's a life and death situation. And, uh, you know, when you talk about um, drowning and, and the statistics behind it, and, and it elevates tremendously during the summer, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it, it's been pretty tough, no doubt about it. As you mentioned, with the Olympics getting postponed to 2021, you understand probably better than anybody what that's like, what seems like an end-all blockade in a young athlete's career, because you had a similar experience out of competitive swimming cut short back in 1980 when the Summer Olympics, when the U.S. boycotted. Uh, what was this like? What was that like for you? Well, it was hard because, you know, we, we had the Olympics as the pinnacle of success. There, we don't have a Super Bowl World Series, which is every year. It's every four years. And the reason why I think I can empathize with a lot of the athletes and what they went through the last seven or eight months is the fact that even though it's a little bit of apples and oranges, I mean, today it's a matter of life and death. And back then it was just a matter of a life and death of a career potentially. Um, but at least I went through the same feelings that I can at least talk to them about uh, 
um, you know, the denial. I think all of us were in the denial phase when it first happened. The anger of, of being, you know, shut down, completely shut down. And then, um, and then you go through a grieving period, in which a lot of them did. And for me, and I think where they're at, a lot of the athletes are now, now is, is a period of acceptance and, and hopefully motivation. And you'll see some that will be motivated for next summer. And then you will see some that just, just can't handle it anymore. And, and they'll, they'll move on with their lives. So I was eager to have you on this podcast because this podcast is really about embracing the ups and downs of your career and finding your truth and purpose along the way. Your accomplishments after 1980 are what makes your journey so incredible. You went back to Auburn for senior year and you quit swimming. Walk me through that thought process. Well, you have to remember back then, way back then, there was no money in swimming, right? That we didn't have the the endorsements and even being paid by your governing body anymore. I mean, we, it, it was literally, you could not accept money. It was sort of like the NCAA rules are now. So, um, you know, when you finished college, you retired, you, you, you quit for lack of a better word. You know, you moved on with your life. If you think of the greatest swimmers in history, pre 1990, they were all at their peak of their career at 20 and 21 years of age. And, you know, after my senior year in college, I just decided to retire. I felt like three years was, was too long to, to keep going. And uh, so you're right. I, I did. Uh, you did your homework. I, I did. I quit for six months. And um, but then, you know, just just had a, a, a heartfelt uh, talk with my father and uh, you know, he said, you know, you don't want to have any regrets in your life. And if you're going to be able to look at yourself in the mirror and say, what if the rest of your life, then by all means, stay retired. But if, if not, then you, you probably should probably go for it. And then you went on to win 16 total medals, 12 gold for the U.S. swimming, including those three gold at the 1984 Olympics at the age of 25. And as you mentioned at the time, 25 was extremely old for Olympic winners. It was a third, I was the third oldest swimmer in history to win a gold medal up to that point. Wow. I mean, now the average age is 25. Um, but uh, back then, yeah, it was a very, uh, it was very much a young person sport. I was the oldest swimmer on the Olympic team. And, and, you know, it's hard to, to think about that now because again, you know, uh, Anthony Irvin won last uh, in 2016, he was 35, 36 years old. So it's, it's a big, big difference now. You qualified again at the age of 35 in 1996 after a five-year battle with Guillain-Barre syndrome. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I, I literally was walking around one day and then within, I don't know, 24, 36 hours, I was, I was completely paralyzed. Yeah. And thank goodness, uh, you know, my wife recognized it, took me in the emergency room. They diagnosed it right away. And, you know, it's been, a, it's been a few months in the hospital and, and had to kind of learn how to do everything all over again. But, you know, that's, that's, the valley that we sometimes have to go through to be able to kind of go back up to the peak. What did you tell yourself to be able to overcome that adversity? Well, I think a lot of it was, I, I had a really dear friend of mine who was my roommate in college and also my roommate the two years uh, uh, before the Olympics in 84. And uh, he had suffered through Hodgkin's disease, had a very severe case of cancer. And you know, he kind of kept me grounded. He would talk to me in the hospital and say, listen, you, you don't hold a candle what I went through. And so many people around you are going through. I was in the ICU for quite a, an extended period of time, and I saw a lot of suffering around me. So it, it certainly helped me put things in perspective, so to speak. Um, 
And I always felt deep down that I was going to get better. You know, um, like I said, I, my family was awesome. Um, I had really good friends. A lot of people reached out to me and kind of gave me the, that, that good energy um, to help to help heal. And literally the day I got out of the hospital, my wife took me to the swimming pool and I got it right into the pool, which helped uh, post, uh, post the hospital stay. What would you say to these young kids who were crushed because their professional careers were put on hold or might have come to an end due to COVID? Well, I would say that uh, I, I would say, and, and these are sometimes empty words, but you know, all we have is hope, you know, that that's what we have to rely on now because I sincerely believe we're, we're, we're going to overcome this uh, huge diversity. I mean, uh, this, this huge um, tragedy that we're going through right now. And, you know, I didn't start swimming until I was 17. I was a junior in high school. I was in 11th grade when I started. And the reason why I started swimming was because I got, I got cut in five other sports. <laughs> I tried out for five different sports in high school and I got cut in all of them. Um, but, but I never gave up, you know, so my, I, my message is one that, you know, you never give up. It, it, it could be now when you're 16, 17, it could be 2025. 20, um, and, and again, I, I felt like I was born with a gift. Um, the Lord put me on this earth for a very specific purpose. And, and who knows, I think everybody else is, is the same way. I think everybody's put on this earth for a very uh, special reason. And so I tell them, you know, hang in there and just have hope. And if you get cut or you get rejected, you might go on to become an Olympian in another sport. So there's that. Dude, I'm telling you, you cannot believe. Football, baseball, basketball, golf, and tennis. My sophomore and junior year, um, those five sports. Swimming was next. And I, I was knew I was going to get cut in swimming. So after swimming, it was going to be track and field. I just felt like, okay, there's track and field. I want to do the pole vault. That's what that was next. You are tenacious. Was there ever a point where your dad or mom was like, uh, you should probably not try to be an athlete anymore? This isn't working. No, they were they were really supportive. They really were. You know, they 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 um, they were always behind me, win, lose, or draw, and. Uh, and believe me, I was losing a lot in high school. You know, I was kind of heading in, uh, you know, a pretty, um, I would say dark path, but a path that, you know, we all kind of touch upon sometimes in high school. And uh, I just knew sports was a, a saving grace for me. I love sports. I just wasn't very good at anything, but it didn't really matter. <laughs> I just loved them all so much, you know. And uh, so I figured, you know, I just keep trying one after the other. Although track and field was it. I, if track and field wasn't going to work out, I knew I was done. That was all the sports there are. <laughs> you could have gone on to become a professional dancer or something. There you go. And there you go. That worked out for you. <laughs> Believe me, in Winter Haven, Florida, we didn't have dancing. Trust me. <laughs> oh, no ballet there? All right. No ballet well, there. When the Olympics take place in 2021, you're going to be there as a member of the broadcast team. Mm -hmm. What has the sport of swimming learned from the other pro leagues like NFL, NBA, MLB? I feel like they're the perfect study for what to do and what not to do. Absolutely. You are so right. Um, and, and I think that's the epitome of why I think this is going to be the greatest Olympics in history. I, I really sincerely believe that. Um, because, first of all, the Japanese people are amazing. They're wonderful, humble, 
studious, hardworking people, and they've worked so hard to put on a great Olympic. So from that standpoint, I feel very confident. But they will always also, as you just mentioned, be able to study what worked, like the NBA. They'll be able to study what didn't work so much, in baseball in the beginning maybe, and then maybe hit misses like the NFL. So I think they'll be able to – and this is true for all over the world, soccer leagues across the world. Now, it's a little different when you bring 10,000 athletes together. So it, it, it's, it, it's going to be – it's not going to be for the faint of heart, I can tell you that. And it's going to look different than any other Olympics that we've ever had in our lifetime. Um, but I, I really have confidence that we're going to have a figure, figure this out. Plus, we'll have a whole year under our belt, um, actually a year and a half since this was, you know, first came down to kind of um, figure things out and figure out what works and what doesn't work. And hopefully, you know, the vaccine will come through as well. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Uh, well, here in LA, cities like Culver City and Santa Monica have reopened pools and rec programs. What's it been like in Florida? What's working for the pools and how are public officials making sure it's a safe environment? Well, I think we, we came up with the Aquatics Coalition to tackle that specific subject. You know, pools are, as we were talking about at the very beginning, pools are closing across the country. And what we're trying to tell them is, First of all, COVID is not transmitted via chlorinated water. I didn't say that. The CDC says that. So you've got to remember all these, all these athletes, all these kids that are in great shape are bathed in chlorine. It's, it's really a, a case study to say COVID is not spread. Plus, we practice social distance before COVID. I mean, most kids would show up at swim practice or swim lesson with their swimsuit on. They'd get in the water, swim laps with a coach on the deck or the, um, or the, um, the instructor in the water with a face shield and a mask, get out of the water with a swimsuit on and get in the car and go home. So we were practicing all that beforehand. And I think the coalition, thank goodness for USA Swimming, was, was put together to say, we can do this. We have a comprehensive plan to be able to present to those public officials and those policymakers and say, we can do this. It can work. And uh, that's, what, that's what our message is. We've had some hits and misses. The New York City just opened their pools uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, but we got this, uh, this, um, this comprehensive plan in front of the governor of Michigan. And I, I really believe that if he, she did not see that, the pools would still be closed in Michigan. So we, we've had some success stories along the way, no doubt about it. Would you say that the most dangerous part is really just waiting on the deck to get into the pool? Yeah, I mean, it is. But again, when you think of swimming compared to some of the other sports, I mean, compared, compared to water polo or, or compared to basketball or football or baseball, even, I mean, a lot of that in, involves contact. That, it, that is not true of swimming. Diving is another great example. It just... It doesn't happen, you know, and you're right. It may be sitting, standing on the deck and talking to your friends and everything, but certainly during this crisis, we know what to do. The coaches know what to do. And that's what the plan is all about to be able to say, we, we, we know how to do this and we know how to do it safely. And when you talk about drowning, especially, and, and com the competition side is obviously important for me, but Drowning is the number one cause of unintentional death in children four and under. It's number one. It's number two for 14 and under. So it, it, we're, 
we're talking about being in the middle of a pandemic. Drowning mm -hmm. is an epidemic, and uh, yeah. and having those pools closed really hurts. Uh, 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 forget about the economic devastation; that's obvious. But but also from the standpoint, you know, swimming is the only sport that can save your life. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. That's a good point. All the like swim classes that have been canceled. I have tons of friends with young babies that are in swim classes. I didn't even realize that that was. Um, something that was also going to be put on the back burner. Um, also put on the back burner, I feel like we all can relate to getting a little out of shape during the quarantine period of this pandemic. Um, some swimmers have been able to train at beaches, but a lot of people don't have access to any. With such a long period off from going into the pool, what advice do you have for when people are finally able to get back at it? Well, I think the, the important message, and I, I've probably been on 60 Zoom calls over the last uh, six months with uh, clubs and high schools, colleges, pro teams. And, and the message to me, because that question gets asked all the time, am I going to get out of shape? What's going to happen now? I've been out of the water for four months. What, what, you know, my gosh, am I going to be able to get back in shape? And I say, relax. First of all, you're young. If I was out of the water four months, forget about it. I, my, my swimming career is done. <laughs> but if you're 17 or 18 or 25 or 30, it's no problem. There's a rule of thumb in swimming. It, it, every day you're out of the water, it takes about a half of a day to get the feel for the water back. You see what I'm saying? So it, it, if you're out of the water for a month, it's going to take you about two weeks to get back to where you were completely the same as when you took the month off. So if you are out of the water for four months, it's going to take you a couple months to get back into it. And after that, you'll be back to your old self. I guarantee it because I was out six months, remember, back in 1981. I didn't swim one lap for six months. And back when you were back and old at the age of 22. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And came back and did my lifetime best in all of my events about three months after I came back. Wow. Okay, good to know. And especially for the athletes coming up on the 2021 Olympics, pools mm -hmm. should be open. They should be able to train. At the end of this podcast, I like to play a game called Two Truths and a Lie, where I ask you two truths, and you tell me two truths and one lie, and I have to guess which the lie is. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, one, uh, my real name. Uh, oh, okay. One, my name, Rowdy, came from a TV program. True or false? Uh, number two, um, I have three daughters, but I have three grandsons. No, excuse me. Excuse me. I have four daughters, but I have three grandsons. Um, true or false. And number three, um, I learned how to swim before I learned how to walk. So first one. I'm I got my go name Rowdy from a television series. I think Number that's two. True. Okay. That I is true. It came from an old TV series called Rawhide. Okay. Bernice Wood played a character called Rowdy Yates. So that one's true. Okay. The second one, I have four daughters and three grandsons. I'm going to go with that one's a lie. I think you have three daughters because if I was the fourth daughter and I was forgotten in your original statement, I would have been upset. <laughs> that, that <laughs> is a lie, but I do have four daughters. And I have three granddaughters. Aww. Oh, no grandsons. <laughs> I have four daughters and three granddaughters. So I don't have any grandsons. And number three, um, I learned how to swim before I learned how to walk. 
See, maybe then you should have just went for swimming right away instead of trying to play every other sport out there. I do. I, I, I'm not kidding. I, I, my, my parents, you're too young to remember, but there used to be an old place called um, um, uh, Cypress Gardens. And my parents water skied for this uh, attraction called uh, Cypress Gardens. And I literally grew up on a lake. My house was 10 feet from the water. Wow. So my mom thought it was really important that I knew how to know how to swim. And that's why she taught me at a very, very, very early age. I love that. Yeah. I live over, I'm in Los Angeles and I'm steps from the beach and I love seeing all the little kids running out to the water, learning how to swim. It's, it's Isn't that great? Yeah, it is. They're have you been able to, have, have they been able to get in the water out there? Yeah, the beaches are open. It's so cute when you see like a three-year-old carrying his own little surfboard learning how to surf. I'm like, that's goals right there. Cause I just right. surf like two months ago. Um, I'm not even yeah. a very good swimmer. I know how to swim, but I'm not that great at it. I need to get better. As long as you know how to swim, that's the key. And I, and that's what I try to preach is just be safer in the water. There's no such thing as being completely safe in the water. And that's why swim lessons are, are so important because 90%, um, but swim lessons reduces that risk of drowning by 90%. So I get a Google alert when, when a child drowns and I get six or seven a day oh. and it breaks my heart. And, and, and for the most part, not all cases, but for most cases, I know they could have been prevented. You know, when I see that four-year-old that steps away from that family into their backyard pool and drowns, I know that could have prevented if that child had taken swim lessons. And so that's why I preach the message swim lessons. And that's why I'm talking to you about, hey, let's get these pools open. Yeah, it only takes a couple of seconds for a, a child to, to drown. No doubt about it. 30 seconds. They can drown within 30 seconds. It can take longer but it can take as little as 30 seconds. What and 90% of drownings happen in front of an adult. Wow. <laughs> the, the adult becomes distracted and we live in an age of distraction now, especially during COVID, during the yeah. shutdown. What's being done to prevent that besides individuals like yourself spreading the message of how important swim lessons are? Education. I mean, it, we, we, and I think that's one great thing about the USA Swimming Foundation is the fact that we travel all over the country with our Make a Splash program. And we go into these areas, these underserved areas where um, we say, listen, it's, it's critically important that you watch your child, um, that you have to be that first line of defense because most parents don't know that statistic, you know, and an African-American child is five times more likely to drown than a Caucasian child. So we really try to go into those communities where the message is really important. Um, and, and listen, any child that drowns, it, it just, it, it's devastating. And so I, I think it's my lifelong mission to make sure parents understand how important it is to be educated and how important it is to put your kids in swim lessons. Well, thank you to bringing, thank you for bringing that to light because I didn't even think of that as an impact that COVID might have had on um, mm. today's world. So that's really interesting. And I appreciate yeah. your time today. I don't want to take up too much more of it so you can get outside and enjoy the weather in Florida. But thank you so much, Roddy. It was nice to meet you. Anytime, anytime. Thank you for listening to the Moment of Cluth podcast, now available anywhere you listen to your podcasts. I'm your host, Megan Kluth. If you enjoyed this episode, please download it and share with others. Subscribe to be notified when new episodes air, visit MeganKluth.com to get in touch, head over to my YouTube page to watch my latest interviews, and stay tuned for more great conversations.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.